It's an incredible, incredible truth that we just sang that I really hope um, it does something emotional in you. It's a truth we should understand and apprehend with our minds, but there's also that reality as we sing that truth that we are the sons and daughters of God, that he can never forsake his own. Um, there's an incredible comfort that we gain in that. You may be newly motivated to pray for the persecuted church. And so we had a taste of that in this room, but I want you to know about an opportunity that happens every Sunday over in E11. There's a prayer room, and I think that there is prayer going on over there every Sunday, or at least that will be the desire. There'll be prayer over there for the church, for our missionaries, um, for the persecuted church and our brothers and sisters around the world who are um, facing persecution. So if there's something this morning that's been ignited in you and a desire, a reminder to be engaged in prayer, we want to make sure that you're aware of that opportunity over in E11. So <clears throat> my name is Matt Russell. I had the privilege of being with you um, a few, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I told you a story about my wife and I, and I told you I'd finish the story today. So if you, if you know us, there's not a surprise ending or anything um, because you already know the ending, but it's a real privilege to be able to tell you the story anyway because um, I think it is honoring and glorifying to God as we declare his writing of our story and recognizing his goodness in the midst of that. So uh, we continue to struggle with infertility and doctors were suggesting that we uh, engage in infertility treatments. Now, we believed, as we prayed about it and thought about it, that those infertility treatments were not what God wanted us to do. And I am not saying something about uh, treatments and medical intervention and all those things. Um, I am just simply saying to you that as we engage the Lord with that, that was something that he was very clear that we were not to go forward with. And that was a very difficult conversation, as you can imagine. Um, all, that there, all the hope that there was in the possibilities of medical intervention, um, it was at that moment on the couch, I remember in our little house on Peachtree Street down in San Marco, we said we weren't going to go any further. And we surrendered our desire to have children. And in our minds, <clears throat> there was that, um, Lord, we desperately want children. We believe that you can do it. And we believe that there is the possibility of adoption uh, in our thinking uh, as kind of a plan B. Well, as the Lord would have it, um, one month after making that decision, sitting on that couch, my wife announced to me that we were pregnant. And I was incredibly shocked, thrilled, overwhelmed, and so excited that within that pregnancy, within just a few months, I sold our red Passat sports car, five-speed, sunroof, leather interior, turbocharged. And I, I, thank you, and I bought a minivan. The one car I said I would never drive, we graduated to a grocery getter, and I officially became old. And I didn't care because God was going to fill that van. And my daughter Emma's car seat was the only car seat that ever rode in that big van. And we came to a place about six years into her life where we realized, 
I think that infertility is with us for good. And I think we are going to be a grateful family with one beautiful little girl. And we were happy. And then a friend of ours called us. I don't know how she does it, but she had all these connections to um, children who needed homes. And she was in a network of people and she and her husband had adopted and we saw them go through the adoption process and it was compelling. And she called us and said, there's a, a woman who uh, has a terminal illness up in, I think, North Carolina, South Carolina, and they're looking for a home for their two children um, after she passes. And we'd like to know, would you be willing to think about that, pray about that? Would you be their new home? And so we said, well, of course we'll pray about it. And so we prayed about it, we thought about it. It didn't take us long. We're like, yes, this is, um, this is what the Lord would want us to do. So we called her back and said, yes, we are um, excited to open our home. I think we gave it a weekend and then called her on a you know, Monday. Um, and she said, um, oh, they've already found a place. Wait, we thought this was, well, it didn't take us long. We're dense, but we're not that dense. And we realized the Lord was moving in us to begin the process of opening our home to other children. You see, we had always said like a third of Americans, a th this statistic is uh, right off the internet, so it's true. A third, <laughs> but like a third of Americans who've considered adoption, okay, we always said adoption would be a good thing. Sure. Or that's a great plan B. Or after we have our children, we can adopt, right? Did you know that only 2% of that third of Americans actually converge on adoption? See, we had always said that adoption would be a great thing. We believe that adoption is good, but we weren't in a pathway to recognize children in need, you see? And this woman who had this network was in that pathway. And so we began to realize that the Lord was calling us to step out in faith and to become foster parents. Specifically, we told our daughter, we are looking to foster children so that they can be reunited with their families. We think that is best. And as a Christian family, we can provide structure and support to a family who is going through a difficult time and maybe have an influence in those parents' lives and for sure in the lives of these children. We told her, there's gonna be a lot of hellos and there's likely gonna be a lot of goodbyes. What we didn't realize is what the Lord had planned all along. This is my family. Um, Emma is the big one. Um, she's 17. And then Toby is 11 and Levi is seven. And both Toby and Levi came to us through the foster care system. And what I love to remind my son Toby of in particular is that in 2006, when we began the process of thinking about foster care, we actually pulled the trigger on doing something in foster care in May of 2006. My son was born May 24th of 2006. God was writing our story from the reality of our infertility long before we had ever understood what was going on. He's writing our story and he's writing his. Because the heart of God was for this little boy to have a home and a family. And he knew where he was gonna be would not be good. So God put this little boy into a foster home of a woman who was in her late 70s and her husband was <clears throat> in his late, late, late 70s. Um, and 
Their names were Mr. and Mrs. Haven. I can't think of a better name for a foster family. They fostered 83 children in their life. And they could not adopt because they were in their late 70s. It, it wouldn't have been appropriate for them to adopt, but they fostered and they continued to foster. And Mrs. Haven said she would foster until she couldn't foster anymore. And she had two little babies, my son and another little infant. And we met her because we needed respite care. Respite care is what you do when you go out of town and you can't leave the state with the child. And so you put them in respite care. And we called her and she said, well, I've got two infants. I was like, oh no, we'll find somebody else. And she said, no, no, I'll take them. It's fine. <laughs> so Mrs. Havens had two infants and took Casey. And I don't think she slept at all. And we met Toby who was sitting in an extra saucer. You know what I'm talking about? Throwing stuff and making lots of noise. That's consistent today. Um, <laughs> And that's how God introduced us to the Havens and how we got to know Toby, who came into our home as a foster child, and then we were able to adopt in 2007. God was writing our story. God was writing their story. I have other stories about Levi, but I don't have time. And I believe God might be writing your story. Because I believe as a church and as individuals, we're to be engaged in orphan care. The scripture talks very much about orphans, widows, the sojourner. In fact, orphans and widows are named uh, in the Old Testament almost equal amounts. And the poor, close, and the most in the Old Testament is the stranger, the sojourner. Over and over again, God mentions these uh, vulnerable and today, I want you to understand that I am not saying that we shouldn't be involved in widow, uh, ministry to widows or ministry to the poor, but I want to focus us on orphans. <clears throat> there are currently, uh, 140 million is what I got off the internet, but then I talked to a guy at Lifeline, and he said it's about 150 million orphans worldwide. There's about 112,000 orphans in the United States that are looking for forever family. And there's about 427,000 children in foster care. They're out of their home and they're in uh, foster care while their parents are working on, uh, presumably, hopefully, working on their case plan to um, re get their children to be reunited again with their children. Those numbers are overwhelming, admittedly. And we think, what is a church in, in Jacksonville going to do for 150 million orphans or 112,000 orphans in the United States? What are we going to do? And that kind of number just kind of makes you paralyzed and do nothing. Let me give you some new numbers. Currently in Duval County, Nassau County, there are 497 children in foster care. These are children who have been taken from their homes for various reasons, and now they're in placement for their own protection and uh, safety while they're being while preparing to be reunited with their families as long as those families work their case plan. There are currently 56 children waiting for adoptive families whose parents have had their rights terminated and they have no potential prospects thus far. 56. Now stop and let that number sink in. We have a church of about 2,000 people that call this their church home. Any given Sunday, about 1,100 folks come to worship here. It is my distinct belief that we could take care of this number like that. Now, I'm not saying the Lord is calling us to do that, 
But I'm suggesting that purely numbers-wise, it's no longer the 150 million. There's what, 3,100 uh, counties across the United States? And if every county has around 50 children who are needing care, are there churches in those counties that could take responsibility for that county and eradicate the need for adoptive families? You see, the need is great. There's an orphan crisis around the world, but what we have to remember is we're given this, uh, this community, this county, and ca surrounding counties that we live in. I did call St. John's County, but they didn't get back home, so I don't know the number there. And we, in this church alone, could take in 56 children. <clears throat> there are currently 14 children who will age out of the system next fall, 2018. Aging out of the system, you might not know what that means. Um, there's as many as 20,000 children across the United States that will age out of the system in the coming year. I asked uh, Jessica Phoenix, who works for Family Support Services, she goes to our church to explain to me what that means exactly for a child to age out of the system. <clears throat> she writes, on their 18th birthday, if a child is not adopted or reunited with their biological family, a caseworker will pick them up from their foster home on their birthday and move them to an extended foster care home. This is more of a roommate type setup whether, uh, rather than an actual parent foster family setting. They're allowed to live there while they go to school or work. But the extended foster home is not a parent who is going to check up on them, ask them about school, make sure they go to school, etc. They are just there to provide a place to live. If an 18 year old does not want to go into extended foster care, they are left to find a place to live on their own. This often looks like couch surfing or going back to bio family who soon will kick them out or often kick them out because they're unable to provide for them. Statistically speaking, children who age out of foster care without a family are four times more likely to be homeless, incarcerated, have unplanned pregnancies, and never complete their high school diploma or GED, much less go to college. I don't know if you realize this, but children in foster care, um, they are given a grant to actually go to college. There's monies that are set aside for them to actually attend university in the state. It's a phenomenal gift. So many don't take advantage of it because there's nobody to support them, to encourage them when it's hard, to uh, hold them accountable, and to move into their life in a way that is parental, the supporting family to help someone navigate those college years. Children who age out of the foster care typically don't have someone they can call when their car breaks down, no one to call at 2 a.m. when they are sick or in trouble, no one to ask how long to bake a potato in the microwave. Silly, but it's little things like that we often don't think of and we take for granted. No one to be in the delivery room when they give birth to their first baby, no one to come home and to ask how their day was. A person never outgrows their need for a family. 14 kids in our county will be aging out of foster care in the fall of 2018. So a need, a need doesn't necess necessitate a call. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are called. There are lots of needs. What do we look to as followers of Christ to recognize the call in our lives to be engaged actively in orphan care? Well, first, we have the heart of God. Scripture regularly reflects God's heart for the most vulnerable in our world. 
Now this includes, of course, I said, uh, the widow, the sojourner, uh, the prisoner, and the poor. But God's heart is clearly reflected throughout Scripture that he calls us as his people to have a heart for the orphan. In Psalm 68, 5 through 6, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Isaiah 1, 17, we had it uh, up on the screen during the video. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Isaiah is writing to a people. God is using him as a prophet to declare to them that they have lost their way. He intends Israel to function in the heart, in his heart, in the way that he functions. He is calling them back to what it means to be his people. When we see God's heart for the orphan, we're seeing also his expectation that his people who are made in his image and being shaped and conformed into the image of Christ will also develop a heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the poor, for the prisoner. As I said earlier, many people in our culture see adoption as plan B. I understand it. We were there. That is the way we were thinking. But what I was so struck to realize is that adoption was never plan B for God. Adoption was always plan A. Adoption was plan A. It wasn't a consolation. Just as he chose him, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. When did he choose? Before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. A couple things about this. Adoption as sons. You know, in our culture, we are very careful about language that is inclusive, and we get a little offended when we don't see adoption as sons and daughters. I want you to understand something about the culture that he's writing into. Daughters had no rights. Daughters had no rights of inheritance. So when we read that we are being adopted as sons, that includes women being adopted as sons with rights of inheritance. The true son and daughter true sons of the living God. He goes on to say in Romans 8, 14 through 17, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, like other religions, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Adoption was plan A and is in the heart of God, our Father. Matthew 1.1, the record of genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's whole purpose in writing to 
his reader, is to prove, to show that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who was foretold, who would sit on the throne of David from the stump of Jesse, that he is the one who would now and in the future bring in the kingdom of God and he would reign eternally. It's the Davidic covenant, the covenant with the King David. Verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. The Davidic covenant is fulfilled through adoption. Jesus adopted into the line of David. I find that fascinating because there is this foretold one who would come in the line of David. And Jesus enters that line by the providence of God, God entering creation itself through adoption. Additionally, the gospel is meant to be demonstrated. Another reason for adoption, the need, the heart of God, adoption demonstrates the gospel. And we know this. We know that the gospel is both seen, meant to be heard and seen. We've heard people say things like, you know, uh, <clears throat> live the gospel and use words if necessary. Of course words are necessary. But it's not only about words. We don't just use words. We also live it out and it gets um, demonstrated in the way that we live. Christian words and sentiments are not enough. Genuine belief always begets consistent actions. A couple years ago, Hurricane Matthew went to the store to get water. There's plenty. There's water everywhere. No problem. Why? Nobody really thought anything of Hurricane Matthew. Not really. One year later, a week and a half before Hurricane is even near the tip of Miami, I go to the store to get water. There ain't none. People in this country live on soda until there's a hurricane. <laughs> and then suddenly they need 40,000 gallons of water, which they're all giving away because they were hoarding it. Now they're giving it away, trying to help people who need it. Why? Why a week and a half or more before the hurricane? Because we believed it was coming. We were afraid, concerned, and so we prepared. Genuine belief always results in actions consistent with that belief. And I know in my own life, I can say something is true, but I know what I really believe by how I act. And it's true for you as well. Jesus teaches his disciples this in the, the last teaching he has with them before going to the cross. In the upper room, he spends time with them and he washes their feet. And they don't want him to wash their feet. Do you remember? They're like, whoa, whoa, this is not appropriate. And what does he say to them? If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He wasn't talking about their stinky feet. He was talking about their souls. And the acknowledgement that what he was doing was he was giving them an object lesson of, about, of what he was about to do on the cross. He was about to make it possible for uh, them to be cleaned and washed by his sacrificial work on the cross. And then he goes on to say, 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. We see this over and over again in Scripture where the example is given, it's lived out. <clears throat> he loves us, so therefore we love others. Forgive others as, Christ, as God in Christ Jesus forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. We forgive, we were forgiven, so we forgive others. There's this horizontal coming down from God who needs nothing from us, who loves us and reaches out to the vulnerable, and then he calls us then to reach out to others to live the gospel out in practical ways. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Let that sink in for a minute. How did he love? Sacrificially, to the utmost, at extreme expense and cost to himself, even as I have loved you, that you, love, uh, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The object lesson of love for another, forgiveness, we are representing to a lost world the gospel that has more to do with life than just philosophy or theology, just the way we think in our minds. It has to do with the way that we live. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his own tongue but deceive he deceives sorry does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart this man's religion is worthless pure and undefiled religion is in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world we would all agree that watching our tongue is the call on every believer true we all recognize that we're called to watch our speech, that we are in some respects co-creators with God. And when we speak, it matters what we say. We watch our tongues. We would also agree that we are to be unstained by the world, right? In the world, not of the world. Every believer to not be stained or conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Do we all agree that's the call on every believer to visit orphans and widows. Yes. You see, in the context of two things that we all agree on, 2% of all Americans actually converge on adoption. Now, we recognize that it's not just orphans. It's the vulnerable. And we are called to display the gospel to the most vulnerable in our world. Not only does it display the gospel, it's meant to be seen, not just heard. When you, are, when you adopt, you will gain a greater understanding of your own status as a real child of God. I'm sure you recognize that um, our family is um, multiracial. And when we adopted Toby, um, he looked a lot like Emma. I mean, I have a picture of them at Christmas time, and you would have thought they were uh, natural uh, biological siblings. When we adopted Levi, <clears throat> some year, uh, I guess three years later, um, we began to get questions from people, and, and one of them was this: um, 
is he adopted? And so in that case, I would just wait and it would sink in and they'd go, well, of course he is. And he, yeah, yeah, he's adopted. He was adopted. Um, this is free. But when you refer to children um, having come through the miracle of adoption, you do so in past tense. They were adopted. They are now my children. Do you understand? So it's something in past tense. They were adopted. They were born. And now they're my child. Okay. So I would say, well, he was adopted, um, but he's my son. And then they'll say things like this. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Which ones are your real children? Now listen, every, every hour I say that, I think you think I'm going to be offended by that. I understand what they're saying. You really understand what they're saying. You might have even said that before. It's okay. Okay, we have to help people understand what they're saying and what they're thinking, right? We know what they're asking. And I will always say, well, it's funny you should ask because actually um, they're all my children and they're real. <laughs> and, and they get it right? Usually they get it. Oh, you know what I mean? I said, I know what you mean. Yeah. And so my daughter uh, came to us, the miracle of birth, um, biologically. And then, uh, my sons, they came through the miracle of adoption. Yeah. So one of the things that you begin to realize, I began to realize is that I would use this. This happened a lot. And I would say this, they're my, yes, they're my real sons. Folks, when my children were adopted, I signed papers, papers that made it irrevocable as though they were born to me. And I got a new birth certificate with the names that we chose with our names and their birth date. We have this great passage in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I understood in a level that I had never quite grasped that I'm a real child of God. You see, we talk a lot about justification. You see, the path is God, by his grace, regenerates us and brings us to a point of repentance for our sin. And in repentance for our sin, he justifies us and declares us righteous declares us righteous, and Jesus takes our sin upon himself. Adoption is when the judge steps off the bench, comes around the corner, grabs his hand, grabs my hand, and says, and I want you to come home with me. You're in my family now, and I'm going to provide for your needs, and you're going to be one of my heirs. That's what happened to us. We talk about justification and sanctification. Good. Sometimes we forget that we are adopted into a new family. We have a new identity that we're called to enjoy, to be comforted and strengthened by and to live out of. We get a sense in uh, adopting. I began to recognize, oh my gosh, I really am the real son of the living God. He has brought me into his family and I am a co-heir with Christ. It's what Dallas was saying about 
You know, we are brothers and sisters because we are adopted into the family of God. It's why we pray for the persecuted church because our brothers and sisters were one body and they're hurting. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God and such we are. Also, historically, the church has always championed orphan care. That's got to mean something to us because as long as there's been a church, there's been people championing orphan care. The church fathers from the very beginning were declaring to their people and writing into um, structure in the church that there would be care for orphans and those who were fatherless. There were three fates in the ancient world for unwanted children. Death by exposure or slavery or adoption. The common practice in the ancient world because of the dangers of abortion to the mother was to just give birth to the child and leave them out in nature and let them die uh, by exposure. And so the Christian church recognizing this practice steps up, steps in, and rescues these children left uh, to exposure. I was reading a a quote by a man who wrote a, a history book on Christian charity, and this is what he had to say about adoption. When we first meet the mention of adoption and bringing up of foundlings, this work appears not as a novelty, but as one long practiced. It is true that heathen also used to take care of exposed children, but for the purposes of bringing them up as gladiators, or prostitutes, or even to use them in their own service. Christians brought up the children whom they took charge of for the Lord for, and for a respectable and industrious life. That is why, to this day, so many orphanages are run by uh, denominations of churches and so many ministries, uh, so many orphaned, orphan um, agencies are run by Christian ministries because there has been a historical, church-long understanding that we have a responsibility in this world to protect the most vulnerable. Being pro-life means that we must be willing to stand in the gap. We are likely in this room and over in South, all pro-life. We believe that life is sacred given by God. But don't you believe that there must be something beyond that that we engage in individually and corporately where we have beliefs that are consistent with the way that we function and live. To say that we're pro-life and to not be engaged in orphan care is like saying to the cold and hungry, go in peace, be filled and be warm, but not giving them anything. The Apostle James says, what good is that? There's also challenges. And I believe challenges is one of the reasons why we should be engaged in adoption and foster care and orphan care. Engaged with the vulnerable. Adoption includes expense and risk and therefore opportunities to walk by faith. I had this conversation uh, I was youth pastor still, and we were going to a, a conference, and Eileen Felton, Miss Eileen Felton, if you know her, you know how incredibly sweet she is and wise. 
and we were, uh, she was going to this conference with us, and we were in the car on the way, and we were talking about our lives, and we were talking about our struggles, and my wife and I, and um, how we had thought about adoption, but we weren't really sure because it seemed really hard, and quite frankly, as youth pastor, I had seen some kids who had been adopted, and they really struggled with issues of identity, um, issues of uh, wanting to live with their birth parents, all of these things that were just, in my view, really painful to have to go through. And I was telling her that, and she looked at me, and in a way that only Mrs. Felton can, she said, hmm, funny. When we adopted, we weren't really thinking about ourselves. We were thinking about their need for a home. (laughs) That, Miss Felton, cut me really deep. And it needed to happen. Because there are good reasons not to adopt. I'm not saying everybody should adopt or should be in foster care. There are valid. I have told people, maybe not. But folks, there are a lot of bad reasons not to adopt, not to have, be engaged in foster care, and not to be engaged in orphan care. There's a lot of bad reasons. And my wife, and my, I can't put it on her, I had a very bad reason that was centered around my own comfort and wanting to avoid difficulty. I don't know if y'all know this, but biological children are difficult. <laughs> There's this whole thing about sin and the sin nature and wrestling with that. And did you know that the same resources that are there for biological families are there for adoptive families? Faith and grace, right? Sometimes it's going to be really, really hard. I'll admit to you that a lot of times international adoption includes children who have disabilities. That's why they're in orphanages. And stateside adoptions, oftentimes, especially if you go through the system, you're going to be engaging children who have had very poor prenatal care poor early childhood care, difficulties with development. Who who better to engage that than the believer? And God's going to use these challenges to mature you. I've always said that I always knew in foster care, that I was doing a good thing, that these children needed a safe place to live, and I knew that my boys needed a forever home. What I didn't know is how desperately I needed them because God has used them in ways that my sweet little girl, my compliant Emma, could not work out of me. Things were just easy, quite honestly. She's not perfect. And my boys aren't terrible. (laughs) But you understand what I mean if you're parents. Every kid is different. And there's a lot more sin in you to be worked out. Now, can only adoptive children do that or having more children? No. The Lord uses all of our circumstances to bring around, to bring us to Christ likeness. All I'm suggesting is one of the reasons, one of the challenges. Uh, the realities of adoption is that the challenges bring about maturity in Christ-likeness, growing maturity in Christ-likeness. The means. You could adopt internationally or domestically. There's a ministry here called Lifeline 
Um, they're out there. They've got a table um, out there. I want to commend them to you. They are an incredible ministry. They live their financials out in the open. They let you know what they're doing, and they have a heart for international adoption, and in some states, they do foster care if you, and, and stateside adoption. If you know that you're not called to adopt internationally or domestically, that's all right. Please still get to know Lifeline because there are ways that you can be involved. Remember I said about age, kids that age out of the system? Well, Lifeline, they actually have a program where they go around the world and they train kids who are preparing to age out of the system. Every country ages out at a different, a different age, 14, 16, 18. And so they have a, they, their desire, their heart is to prepare those children to age out of the system so that they have a trade and a skill and a way to make a living and to provide for themselves and a future family. Lifeline is a fantastic ministry and that's why they're here. I want you to get to know them if you are... Um, interested. Become a foster parent. It takes a process. You have to go through a class, and um, then they will place children with you for the express purpose of having them reunited with their families. That's the best, and so there are goodbyes in foster care. I might have mentioned that we told our daughter this when we prepared to be foster parents, um, that we explained to her that there would be a lot of hellos and a lot of goodbyes, but that's what the Lord wanted that that would be good for them if their parents could get their lives back on track. You could provide respite care for foster families. You still have to be a foster parent. You have to go through the training, but then you could just let them know that you want to be the person where foster families can come for support and you can keep their children while they travel. Um, and I know a lot of folks who were foster parents and then they ended up adopting and so life just got big and so they actually moved over to respite care and they kept the certifications just so they could do respite care. Volunteer at Seamark Ranch or the Baptist Children's Home. They have group, that's a group home where uh, boys and girls live in a home with house parents and you could imagine being, I mean, we struggle with, you know, our three. If you have eight, you know, all around the same age and it, it can be tough. And so they could use support. I know Seamark Ranch does appreciate when somebody gets the certification and they're kind of go through the background check and all of that. And then you can provide respite for those house parents who are um, with them um, pretty much 24 seven. So uh, support a solid Christian orphanage, you know, look for support lifeline or look for an orphanage where they're doing good work around the world that you can trust and you can be involved with and support. Um, there's a number of them out there. Um, help raise money for adoptions. Adoption is expensive, especially if you do private adoption or international adoption. Adoption is expensive, and I can imagine what an incredible gift it would be if this church had captured this and said, we want to create an account where uh, the money is held in the bank and there's a process for uh, application for um, awarding scholarships where we are um, giving money for the purpose of children being rescued and saved. Can't you just see that? I mean, we have so much. And so wouldn't it be incredible for a family who wants to adopt, but they know that financially it's gonna be, well, impossible, honestly, to be able to go to, a, to an agency and say, hey, um, we have this child we'd like to adopt and here are the needs that we have. Um, volunteer at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, provide wraparound care. When we first started fostering, Jane Sedenbrini, and Julie McCarran 
who were youth leaders in my youth group, um, they came over. We got Analia, almost four, and Rosie, almost two, and they rocked our worlds. And they came over and cleaned our house, um, helped with uh, them. They um, brought food and then set up uh, a meal plan. All of these things, wraparound care might be, you know, family who's fostering or have, they're in the middle of adopting or something, and you go, you know what, how can I serve them? I can go grocery shopping for you. I mean, literally not even paying for their groceries. I know mom's in the room, just take my checkbook, take my, <laughs> take my credit card and go shopping for me. You know, there's ways to support um, uh, adoptive families to be a part of that support structure. Host a shower for adoptive parents, organize a clothing closet, um, provide backpacks or bags for foster children who are going into shelter um, so they're not having to pack in a grocery sack, but they have a, a, a rolling bag or a backpack. Become a guardian ad litem. A guardian ad litem, if you don't know what that is, is somebody who contends in court for the child. Everybody has a representative in court. The parents who are uh, working their program have a lawyer. Um, the state has a lawyer. And the guardian ad litem is there to make sure the interest of the child is being considered. And it's not just about the adults in the room, but what's best for that child. And so you could become a guardian ad litem and, and you would have a, a small case plan and you would um, engage with those children in shelter um, as their um, advocate. One of the things that I want to mention uh, here is you may have people in your family who are looking at adoption. And what I've noticed is sometimes it can be kind of threatening and maybe it's a little strange, a little weird. Um, and I want to encourage you to encourage those people in your life who are looking at adoption. It's going to be hard. Everybody, it's going to be hard. So encourage them with the heart of God that you recognize this is on God's heart and that you are ready to pray with them and engage with them and support them as they pursue foster care and adoption. It's not for everybody, but I have a sense it's for more people uh, than currently recognize it. And so unflinchingly, I'm hoping to stoke in this body a desire to engage um, actively in orphan care. International Adoption Info Meeting on November 16th. That's next Thursday, this coming Thursday at 6.30 over in D1 in this building. And uh, uh, David Wooten will be here from Lifeline and be explaining the process of how uh, to go about beginning uh, international adoption procedures. Also, there's a sign-up sheet out uh, at the Impact Gazebo um, to sign up to be part of our orphan care ministry. We really would like a um, body-led orphan care ministry. We have uh, orphan care ministry currently. It's called James 127 Ministries, and we'd like to see that grow. We'd like to see that um, flesh out in some more specific ways. Right now, right now that ministry is made up mostly of adoptive parents, parents who have adopted, and, and quite honestly, mostly um, moms. Um, who gather together for mutual support. But it could be so much more. And so if you're interested in that, if you feel prompted by the Lord um, uh, to engage in caring for the most vulnerable, caring for the orphan, then we'd really ask you to sign, let us have your name and number, and we'll get back with you about uh, a meeting where we begin the process of brainstorming and thinking about what that might look like here at CFC. I would really like for you to answer the question for yourself, I believe I could actively engage in orphan care by. What can you do? We see it on the heart of God. Widows, orphans, the poor, 
the stranger? What can you do to engage uh, for the most vulnerable in our world? Will you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for your love for us, and we're grateful that you have established us in your family as your children. And we pray, Lord God, that you would move mightily in this body, and there would be a fire, a fervor, to bring uh, the orphan into a forever home. In Christ's name, amen. Y'all have a great afternoon.